All right, you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay, I got an intro. Okay, sweet. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with sweets and sling. Yes, we watched Promising Young Woman. It's very funny. It's really, it's really funny. Uh, yeah, Kate said she like loved it more than any movie she's seen this year. It is a profoundly good film, awesome. and has. I really, I don't want to spoil it for you. It's a spoil. Well, don't spoil it. It's a spoilable movie. Okay, well, don't do that. I'm, I'm just it. it there's, there's some troubling stuff. Okay. Yeah, it, I can see that. And what I learned about myself, which I then kind of relearned, mm-hmm. uh, watching Your Honor this week, uh, is that we've talked so much about the ambiguity of my my queasiness yes how there seems to be no consistency over mm-hmm. what's going to make me feel kind of kind of constitutionally iffy or like see spots or get kind of dizzy or whatever and, and I, see spots I, run right yeah. <laughs> is that the frankie muniz one or the yeah, i think so no that was my dog skip my dog skip see spot run was david arquette um it was a real dog movie time yeah people love love dogs uh now i've been totally thrown off by david arquette. sorry your queasiness and yeah, I, I've never been able to to track down any kind of consistency on what it is that bothers me. And I've always just kind of chalked it up to Colin can't look at blood, which I've always known is not true. Mm-hmm. I know it's not true. Like I can see I can see blood in a movie mm-hmm. without getting upset. What I don't what I realized in watching Promising Young Woman is I can't look at trauma. Oh, okay. I can't look at at something that is changing someone forever to the extent that it actually kills them. But like, right. if if I see you know like a little blood when Leo DiCaprio gets shot in the head in The Departed, right? That's fine. Yeah. Because yeah. then he's dead. Right. But it's 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 trauma, I think, and there is trauma in Promising Young Woman. Okay, I could <laughs> see that. Uh, but it's really good. They do this really interesting, uh, they have this really interesting casting device. And I've never seen a cast so effectively weaponized as in this movie. Mm-hmm. Where, and a lot has been said about this. This is not a, a fresh take. But they deliberately choose actors who you inherently feel comfortable with. Right. And flip the script on them and yeah. show why you shouldn't feel comfortable with them. So like Adam Brody is like the nice guy from the OC. Bo Burnham is like the main um, love interest in it and his he's a little different uh, right. character wise a lot of them are kind of two dimensional guys um, Christopher Mintzplatz uh, McLovin I guess he's not exactly famous for, for being like a nice guy in movies but right. but he's like a comedy guy who you feel safe with yeah. and there are a few other examples Max Greenfield from New Girl yeah. and just it, it's in itself the casting of these men is expository of uh, the lurking and normalized dangers all around um, and it's a hell of a movie. I, I, uh, do you think it's going to be some, some Oscar bait? I think that she is absolutely delivering an Oscar performance. Yeah. Uh, it's her movie for M- sure. Miss Mumford. Uh, Carrie Ke- Mulligan. Oh yeah. Mumford. Right. Yeah. Are they still together? Did we get to the yeah. bottom of that? Oh yeah. I think they're, I Googled it the other day and it said, that they were married it's a big cast it's got like all these people doing yeah. like tiny parts like her mom is jennifer coolidge it must move pretty fast yeah it does yep. yeah and molly shannon's in it i saw in the trailer so minimally oh, really okay. really like it's just one scene a lot of these people only have one scene right because they're just there to show this one thing right yeah cool no i'm i'm excited maybe we'll watch it tomorrow 
Let me know as soon as you do. I'd love to talk to somebody about it. Great. Yeah. Well, Kate's seen it too, so. Okay, good to know. You got that in your back pocket. Yeah. How you doing? How are things? Good. That's one thing off the list already. Oh man, your your typewriters <clears throat> look so good right there. You've They're been in all, the room for 10 minutes already. I haven't, haven't noticed that. Saw the, the shelf that they were on. I bought this shelf specifically for the typewriters. But it, didn't you have that on top of the shelf last week? No. The, I, no, it, the whiteboard. No. Do you remember I had those gutters nailed to the yes. wall? They were like, yes. the, the last people who lived here left these like, something sounds off about the audio and I can't figure out what it is. Hmm. Am I too close? <clears throat> no. I, I... We're not getting any background foreigner playing. That's true. There's something weird about the waveform. I'm looking at it. I don't sound as crisp as I normally do, which is bothering me. We're just going to go with it. Sure. Yeah, we're picking it up. Yeah, we're I don't okay. think it sounds bad. Um, yeah, so I had these four typewriters newly. It's a new collection, mm -hmm. and this was the exactly the the shelf I wanted. But we had these like eaves, yeah. screwed to the wall right. on which we displayed coffee table books, and so that had to go. And so now our little board is propped up there. Well, that's definitely an improvement. It looks great. Thanks, bud. Yeah, thank you. I got to get some ribbons for these typewriters. I've cleaned them up a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, Are uh, ribbons like the mechanism that moves the paper through? No, the ribbon is literally where the ink is. You can see on the the Elsie Smith in the bottom left, there's like a red and black ribbon yep. that is suspended along the carriage. Gotcha. So okay. The, the hammers actually knock the ink into into, into your paper upon that ribbon. Right. Cool. Yeah. It's just well, another Tom handy. Hanksy thing that I've done. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You're becoming more Hanksian. You I saw you on the inauguration last night. That was great. You saw me on the inauguration? Yeah, hosting it. He, he was so cold. I didn't watch any of it. I honestly, and I don't really regret it. I don't feel like I missed anything. From the whole day or just last night? From last night. I watched the inauguration. Yes, me too. That's why I was like, okay, I, I think I got everything I need. I don't need to see a special where people just introduce musical acts and they sing. That's exactly how I felt. Like I got down from a shower and Becky had the TV paused and she's like, I figured you'd want to see Bruce. And I was like, yeah, I'll catch it on YouTube tomorrow. And yeah. then I did, and I zipped through it because right. I love Springsteen, but he uh, has a very bad habit of thinking people want to hear the new stuff. Sure. Very bad habit of that. Yeah. And Tom Hanks looked miserable. He was so, ah. I mean, he delivered his words nicely. Right. But it wasn't very hosty. He's no. on the steps of the Capitol. He is frigid. Right. He's so cold. He needed those Bernie Sanders mittens. <laughs> the meme of the week uh, totally apparently the teacher who knit those mittens uh like her inbox is like yeah exactly yeah, completely filled yeah her, yeah her gmail is crashed that's amazing i kind of want a pair now they are cool <laughs> they're hilarious mittens <laughs> they're massive my favorite thing about the bernie meme is that he probably doesn't know it exists yep. and if he does he doesn't get it well and the funny thing is like who would have thought Lady Gaga, Lady Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga can dress like a Hunger Games character totally. and still get out memed by an unknowing Bernie who just like wasn't trying to make a statement. He was just sitting there. Well, was the way Gaga was dressed really that avant-garde considering her past? Like well, do you remember how oh, she used to show up to things? I was making jokes about her showing up in the same meat dress that she showed up in 5 years ago. So no, this wasn't too crazy, but it was just funny because she she actually had like the mocking jay that big, yeah. massive gold pin right. and she, a gold mic. She did look like she was Elizabeth Banks in The Hunger yeah, Games. Yeah, bit. you're kind of right. And she was okay. Yeah. Um, J-Lo was actually pretty good. She had a better voice than I thought she had. What about Garth Brooks running <clears throat> around like a madman after he sang? <laughs> he was just like trying to like shake hands with everyone and then he realized he didn't have a mask and he's just sprinting around. All I can assume is that Joe Biden's a big Garth Brooks fan. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I 
But like, does that mean he's a big J Lo and Lady Gaga fan? No, I think they had to make it a good broadcast, but also right. he got to pick one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I thought I thought it was so funny. That Isn't it on brand that Joe Biden would like Garth Brooks? Do they always do a This Land Is Your? Do they always have three musical acts? No, I mean, four years ago it was Three Doors Down and some right. and some kids' dance troupe. Who, right. who in turn had to sue Trump because he refused to pay them. Oh he wouldn't God. pay the child dancers at his inauguration and they had to sue him. Right. Oh, God. <clears throat> That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Awfully no, I funny. think they just like lined it up. We talked about this last week. They really celebrified the whole event. Yeah. Uh, but I thought they were doing that for the inauguration itself. I didn't know it was going to be a separate thing. I thought it was good. I thought because the inauguration was going to be like crowdless. Yeah. It was going to be like, now we'll cut to Tom, Tom Hanks being like, and I, now I give you, you know, during, during the daytime. Yeah. Basically what, uh, what Klobuchar was doing. (laughs) I thought that was going to be Tom Hanks. Klobuchar doing her tight five. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She was, she was having some fun. You're right. I don't. And I've been as consumed by this as anybody for the last four years, but I didn't really understand the allure of watching a TV special hours after it's happened. And he's gone to work. I were you kind of waiting with bated breath for them to thank the show show for getting him in house? <laughs> you think we had something to do? I thought we had the the jinx. I thought we the Will Smith. We well, you'll notice Will Smith was not there, not present. Nope. Mm, that says something. Yeah, I know. I know. I know how I feel about that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's over, right? We're done with this. We're gonna not talk about it now for a long time. We're gonna be bored by the president, and we're gonna see him, you know, once every couple of months. Yeah. God, I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I think even CNN's like, we we don't even want to give him the time of day. Like, we don't even want to like- I hope so. For like ratings or like, you know, buzziness. We just don't even want to focus on it. I mean, he really, ju- he really jumped the shark. It really helps because they would have an ethical dilemma if he was like still fun to watch. Right. Right. Or, yeah. or still like addictive to watch. But I think even now it's like, I'm so exhausted by this that- yeah. I will turn the station if he comes on. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really easy opportunity for CNN to be like, great, we're going to take the moral high ground and pretend that this is an ethical choice and not a commercial one. Right. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. I hope. I hope. Oh, can I Can I do a show show 180 now? Yeah, go for it. On show show 180, we're going to discuss the big star that Sweets interviewed today. Yeah. Did we watch the inauguration? We kind of talked about that. We talked already. about that. We talked about promising young woman too. Talked about promising young woman. Uh, Wonka prequel, which I didn't know about, oh, and really? Wandavision and Your Honor. Is it too late to talk about Wandavision? Has everybody already done this on their podcast? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I didn't hear Tim Ferriss talk about it or anything. <laughs> the ten-hour work week guy yeah. didn't talk about Wandavision. <laughs> Four-hour work week. Oh it's only wow! Minus six. He has so much time hours. to watch Disney Plus shows. No, why is he not doing this? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So uh, where? So tell me about your interview. You interviewed. I interviewed Jewel today. Yeah, which was cool. That's awesome. It was really something. I just found out forty-eight hours ago I was going to get to do this. Uh-huh. I actually, it was kind of dangled in front of me before christmas and then it never uh turned into anything and then it came back around two days ago um and i got to talk to like this this artist who sold like 30 million albums and is has one of like the billboard records for like longest charting albums of all time she's celebrating the 25th anniversary of her debut album pieces of you okay um and uh so i got to talk to her for and what's also cool is like sometimes when you when you get to talk to somebody with a with a degree of notoriety in popular culture, 
they give you like five or ten minutes yeah and halfway through some publicist pops on and they're like wrap it up please right and it really uh derails your flow and yeah uh right from the get-go they set the zoom meeting up for uh 35 minutes whoa so you're on zoom too. you had the video no i didn't get to see her. Oh, we okay. were just on zoom audio but, sure sure uh, uh we talked for about 25 minutes nice and it was weird because like i haven't done a lot of interviews lately and i've never i don't think i've ever interviewed somebody quite to her uh caliber yeah just in terms of 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 being known um but uh i was quite intimidated by it but i was also heavily prepared and we had a nice we had a nice chat that's awesome she was so calm you liked her yes that's awesome but she was so calm that i found her hard to read Mm -hmm. and i know that she's she's got a lot of integrity about her art and so i wanted to kind of acknowledge that and i had some questions prepared that were kind of like i only would use them if i really felt like i had a an open door to because they were kind of like heavy questions oh really kind of thinky questions but also like kind of like personal and very quickly she she kind of opened that opportunity amazing she she gets pretty serious right away she got deep quick yeah nice so what was what were your big questions um, well, I thought maybe I would sneak it into this podcast. Okay. We could take a listen. Sure. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Hi, Jewel. This is Colin in Halifax. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I, I wanted to start by by telling you a, a little story about the song, You Were Meant For Me. Is that okay with you? I would love to hear a story. Okay. So this goes uh, like 10 or 11 years back. It was Canada Day in Halifax, uh, and my friends and I were going to see this outdoor concert we were there to see uh, an artist named Joel Plaskett, but there was another guy opening up who I was uh, too naive to have heard of before. And he's he's playing this delightful set, and it's your pal Steve Poltz. And, yeah. he, and he gets to the end uh, of this wonderful show that's funny and, and quirky, and and uh, I'm, I'm kind of enamored by his songwriting. And he sets up this final song, and he says it's a song he wrote with Jewel. And I remember thinking, that's really cool. He got to write a song with Jewel, not knowing anything about Steve Poltz. And then he plays You Were Meant For Me. (laughs) And it's not just a song he happened to co-write randomly. It's like one of the more well-known folk songs of a generation. And suddenly I become this great Steve Poltz fan ongoing. uh, Because he does this amazing job of, of performing a song that at the time I already know really well and kind of making it something different. Are you aware of how his version of that song kind of hits differently with your fans? Of course. Yeah, Steve and I are still really dear friends. He's one of my, he's just, he's a great guy and he's a Halifax product, actually. Right. Yeah. Um, as soon as I heard you're from Halifax, I thought of I thought of Pultz. He's an amazing storyteller. He was, you know, my first influence when I moved to San Diego. First guy got, that got me up on stage. And so his his style of guitar playing influenced my style of guitar playing and uh we wrote so many songs together still do there's something really wonderful about um about that song and and a lot of your songs it's incredibly specific lyrically it's very literal um uh, talking about the cap of the toothpaste or or pancakes and yet it's so broadly relatable without being hollow is that something you think about when you're writing a song jewel the the specifics whether or not it'll be relatable to listeners you know, I grew up uh, writing poetry and, and was an avid reader, and the type of writing I was attracted to was highly visual. It evoked a story, um, gave you a lot of color and smell and imagery that you felt like you could step into. 
at the same time, it was so deeply emotional that you couldn't help but relate to it. And it just affected how I wrote forever. Um, so I don't think when I was writing, you were meant for me. I was like, well, I have to make it specific, but also larger. It was just I had already sort of uh, developed a style from my poetry writing and short story fiction writing uh, that that's that's how I liked to do it. So we're celebrating the the 25th anniversary of your debut album, Pieces of You. Congratulations on 25 years. Well, thanks. Uh, so Didn't die. Re- Didn't kill myself. We're here. <laughs> hey, I'm so happy. Uh, so the record is now older than you were when it first came out, which is some startling perspective. Have you, have you found yourself going back to 95, Jewel? Do you often think about those early days when it was all brand new? Putting this album out certainly caused me to look back and... A lot of things stand out. Um, one was just the sheer audacity <laughs> of, of several decisions I made um, that seemed normal to me at the time, but looking back seemed impossible. You know, I was I was not trying to get signed. I was living in a car because I wouldn't have sex with a boss. And when I refused to have sex, he wouldn't give me my paycheck. And so I was like, then F you, I will live in my car because I can't pay rent. And I didn't know that that decision would lead me to my life's passion, you know, a misinterpretation or a misconception in the media. My whole career was that I was living in my car for my art. It was not the case. I was living in my car because I refused to be leveraged by a boss. And it seemed like a doomsday decision. But whenever you invest in yourself and your humanity and in your character, it ends up paying dividends in these unusual ways. I never would have guessed that the dividend that would pay would be that I would end up being a musician, a professional musician. That was not my goal. I started singing in the coffee shop just to try and get back off the street. You know, the car I was living ended up being, ended up getting stolen. Um, And so that one decision sort of staggers me. And then there was a bidding war over me. I ended up having all these labels come. It was shocking. And every label wanted me, and I was offered a million-dollar signing bonus as a homeless kid, and I turned it down Wow! because I'd read a book about how the business functions <laughs> and that it's a loan, basically, and that basically would put a bounty on my head the way I saw it. If I had to sell so many records that I'd have to give back a million dollars before that label ever made a profit on me, and that felt dangerous to me. I wanted to be a folk singer. My heroes were John Prine. And the odds of me working during the height of grunge, you know, Varna was king. I was very practical about it. And I turned it down and I negotiated instead the biggest back end anybody had ever received so that if I sold records, I'd make money. And that felt honest and fair. And it took the pressure off and it let me keep my priority of being an artist, not famous. And those types of decisions sort of shock me now looking back. Yeah, I wonder uh, how age plays a role in that audacity that you have because uh, on the one hand you hear horror stories about young artists who are naive and they're taken advantage of and at the same time i think probably on some level it was your your greenness your freshness that gave you the power to say no to that manager or no to that money or to negotiate that that deal so deftly so it's kind of interesting that it worked in your favor yeah i don't know that it was my greenness in all honesty um greenness you know, has gone the other way, certainly. I think it's also why a lot of artists get taken advantage of. I think it's because I had spent a long time writing, even though I was 18, and I knew what motivated me. What motivated me was sincerity. What motivated me was earnestness. Yeah. What motivated me was art and not fame. 
the things that made me nervous were uh, things that went too quickly, grew too quickly. My life motto at 18 was hardwood grows slowly, which is so silly <laughs> for a life motto. It's not a really sexy life motto, but I came from the country and you saw things that grew too quickly failed and things that took their time lasted and I wanted to last. So I think having been raised in Alaska, being raised agriculturally and being raised to where I was writing and already was sort of thoughtful about what do I want in my life. I also was raised bar singing since I was eight. You know, I had men put dimes in my hand when I was eight and say, call me when you're 16, you're going to be great to F when you're older. So I had been propositioned and leveraged from such a young age or attempted to be leveraged that it was already such a strong part of my personality that I was unleverageable. <laughs> And that's why I did turn down that boss and live in my car. That's why I turned down record deals that weren't good for me is because I knew I could make it on my own. And I know I'd rather be on my own than compromise my own integrity for something that may not even work out anyway, you know? Yeah, here I am kind of uh, fixated on your age as if that's the only factor. But I I mean, I know because it's been well recorded, your, your backstory had, had all of this trauma um, and you're you're definitely used to not everything coming easily by 1995. What do you think of the trope of the tortured artist, Jewel? What, what does suffering do for creativity, if anything? Well, everything's good to a point, and then it becomes a crutch. Right. Um, doing things the hard way, you know, the hardwood grows slowly, gives us solid growth. It makes us a solid container that can withstand trials and tests and winds and storms. And so we don't want to protect ourselves or our children from opportunities that help us dig roots deeper and become more gritty. There is no shortcut. You know, the shortcuts cause you to fail, actually. So getting over the glamour of the idea of the shortcut. But I do know a lot of artists that felt like they couldn't create unless they were unhappy. Or they felt like if they were successful, that meant their credibility went away. And so they would shoot themselves in the foot. You know, I didn't have personally, thankfully, any head trips about, you know, 90s was about credibility. Like, that was the thing. <laughs> and I watched, you know, these amazing rock male rockers spend two hours on making their hair look like they didn't do it. It was so douchey, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, they were trying so hard to be credible that it was like it made them instantly a sellout, in my opinion. But to the world, they seemed super credible. Um, and so that's just like what is in your heart, what's authentic to you. Um, because if you don't listen to that wild instinct in your heart, you're going to be able to be manipulated. And it's not going to work out in the long run. Right. Yeah, I, I've only been thinking about that because I uh, I... I was privy to a discourse where somebody was kind of accusing the the tortured artist trope as as a kind of a toxic thing and I think it is and I think it can be either gatekeepy or it can be discouraging to creatively minded people who um, haven't necessarily experienced a lot of hardship respectively but uh, on the other hand there is I mean evidently something romantic about other people's pain um, because it has led to great art but I guess what you're saying is it has to be authentic when you start to think that an outside experience affects your ability to create, you're deeply compromised. That's a bad position to be in because now you need to be in a breakup to write well. Or now you need to be in a constant state of depression because you're worried if you're not and you get too happy, your living will disappear. That's a deeply compromised 
precarious position to be in. And I have a lot of compassion for it. And it is a romantic stereotype that's perpetrated um, and perpetuated. It isn't true. You know, if you can't create a song without being high, you're in a bad position. Right. <laughs> if you can't create a great song without being depressed, you're in a bad position. And so I would just say fight. It's either you doing it or it's not. It's either you creating it or it's your depression. You know, it's either you creating it or it's being high. And I am too proud and I would encourage every artist to fight for that of saying it's me. And it's hard. It's very hard to face yourself sober and go, what do I get to create something out of nothing? It's a vulnerable, scary position on my new record. I wrote this record from scratch for the first time in my career and not dipping into my back catalog. And I see why middle-aged artists do like a crap ton of drugs to find a new sound because <laughs> yeah. it's hard at my age to dig deep and get wild again and rip out a bunch of preconceived notions of music and have it be new again. It's hard. Like it would be a great shortcut to do it another way, but I've just learned over time there's again no genuine shortcut. And how do you uh, maintain an ongoing relationship to older music that you wrote? So when we revisit pieces of you, you have to go back and, and I mean, I understand that you've been playing these songs all the while, but uh, more intimately re-releasing these songs that you created when you were a teenager, a lot of us would cringe to have to do that, even if it was amazing work. So do your feelings about the songs change over time emotionally? My goal with that record was to be honest. I really resented as a young child when artists used art as propaganda to make themselves seem more perfect, more beautiful, more talented. It's such a powerful thing, fame. And when they use it to make themselves seem like the superhuman race, it does such a disservice to all of us aspiring. Because now we think, well, there's no hope for us. I'm not that pretty, not that happy, not that perfect, or not that talented. So my goal with my music always was to follow my heroes like Anais Nin and Bukowski that were just honest about the ugly and the beauty. And so that was my goal with that record. And as I reissued it, that was still my goal to the point where I found a lot of that record was recorded live at a coffee shop in San Diego because uh, being in the studio, I just wasn't very good at it. And I didn't think it was honest, you know, to use a lot of other musicians to make me sound more advanced than I was. I was not advanced. You know, I just learned guitar a couple years before. And so the record's mostly live, but I went back and found the entire live show that mostly compiled uh, the album most people know. And I put the whole show together in there, um, which is embarrassing. It's like having the most embarrassing high school photo where you're dressed badly <laughs> with bad bangs and having that photo come to life and talk for an entire hour. It's it's kind of mortifying. I definitely cringed personally because it's not fun for me to listen to. It's vulnerable. But you really see what I was like when I was 18. And the only value in that is I hope it gives people courage to go, you start somewhere. You don't start great. You start with glimpses of greatness and hopefully you work on it. And plus on, on this re-release, now the songs have new cultural meanings because they're songs that are precious to other people besides you. And I was thinking about the title track uh, of Pieces of You, which has obviously these themes of intolerance and, and violence towards people who are other or uh, perceived as lesser. Um, that certainly is still uh, tragically applicable now. When you write a song like that, Jewel, do, do you know on some level, uh, do you have a sense of whether or not it's going to connect with people and stay with them for a long time or is it, is it totally a crapshoot? 
all the songs on my first album I had been singing live and were you know tested in front of an audience and you do get a feel for what rips through you know I tended to be attracted to lyrics that were both sincere and earnest and provocative it's kind of an odd combination but that's kind of who I am in my heart so a song like pieces of you to me is a very sincere song a very difficult song to get away with um <laughs> that song has gotten me in trouble I since imagine, I was yeah. 18 still does uh I've story after story of that song but I stand by it and you know recently I did a I sang the album top to bottom I've never done it it's an online show you can buy it on my website actually still and view it and so the second song is pieces of you (laughs) (laughs) and I got so many fans online going you can't sing that song today and I was like the hell I can't I'm gonna do it um that song's about the ugliness of the words we use in private. They're not cute words, but I have heard those words uttered by person after person in every venue I ever sang in since I was eight years old. And it's just sort of shedding a light on what people say in private. And then the added fact of if we don't like somebody else, we better look at ourselves. It's not about them. Um, And it caused me to write a brand new song that's sort of like Pieces of You too. It's in the live concert. Very curious to see what people think of it because it's a really <laughs> shocking, terrible song. <laughs> but I love it. Well, and that's kind of what I mean. Like, I think we're very quick right now to, to say that something hasn't aged very well when, in fact, like, it, it maybe has aged incredibly well. Like you said, it's not pretty, but it wasn't pretty then. And you knew that. That's why you wrote it. Yeah, that song isn't meant to be pretty. It's meant to rip the rip the lid off of something that we like to do in private. Yeah. And that's what the new song's about as well. And, you know, a lot of those songs, I've never tired of singing them. Standing Still, I don't really like to sing over and over. It's just not my jam. I'm, I'm proud of it, don't get me wrong, but it's just not what I would go to. For whatever reason, I've been able to sing Who Will Save Your Soul for 25 years and find something new in it. How have you been doing uh, as an artist through the pandemic? So you're obviously working on new music. Uh, we're doing uh, concerts uh, virtually over Zoom. Is that... Is that heartbreaking? Do you find silver linings to to the new order? I love disruption. I think art thrives in disruption. I think the music industry is slow to get excited, to adapt. You know, everything breaks down. It's entropy. Uh, In the 90s, the industry's reluctance to see digital (laughs) as the comet headed to the dinosaurs caused an undue collapse it wasn't necessary for it to be as thorough as it was um so i think the sooner and i think artists are great at it we work in the unknown we work in like a blank space where you have to make something out of nothing so i think the quicker we get excited about what are the positives of this it's been a lot of positives um i've been able to do promotion on major TV shows without leaving my house. I do it in my guest room and I love it. It makes me so happy. Um, I'm a mom and it's hard for moms to be musicians. Men do much better when they come of age of childbearing age because they get to leave and moms don't get to leave. Not that I would want to, but it's when you see a real sort of bottleneck happen in female creativity and, you know, things like doing this virtually has created sort of a great equalizer for men and women. Um, it's reduced emissions, you know, greenhouse gases. There's been a lot of positives. We'll just have to figure out how to make money. And I hope that as the music industry opens up, we learn some lessons and 
you know, take the goods out of it. I hope we always do promotion from our bedroom. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I'm glad you're finding finding optimism in it. Jewel, it's uh, a pleasure to get to talk to you. I'm such a fan. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks. I'm glad you love Steve Poltz. He's a treasure. <laughs> always. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> Um, and we're back from Jewel. I was thinking this morning about because uh, I've I've been it's been a long time since I've I've talked to somebody, but there was a time when they used to set me up with a lot of phoners. Yeah, never with like a Jewel, but like yeah. I was doing my my Kevin Bacon um, six degrees of separation. Okay, and something I've never mentioned to you is that mm-hmm. I, I interviewed Mark Foster of Foster the People, yep. who actually wasn't very friendly. No, I knew this, but he but he's married to Julia Garner from Ozark. Oh, whoa! Yeah. I don't think I knew that. That's his wife. And so I could only get to Kevin Bacon in seven degrees from that. So right. I did Mark Foster to Julia Garner to Laura Linney. Okay. To uh, Emma Thompson to Kate Winslet to Bill Paxton to Kevin Bacon. That's okay. seven degrees. Right. So was Jewel involved in any of that? She degrees? might have been in there. Okay. <laughs> the Comedy Central roast of Rob Lowe. That's yeah. a thing that's been rattling in my head all day. Well, I wanted to ask you, was there any anything that you, did you nardwar her at all? Was there anything where she was like, wow, no. you know your shit? And that's what I mean by she was so calm, is there was a couple of questions where I right. kind of thought, like, good for me. Right. And then she this just kind of, run. she really went for it. Gotcha. She was just like, well, we talked a little bit about uh, about the tortured artist trope. Okay. I was curious about her thoughts about that because she's like really come by her pain honestly. Right. And that's pretty well recorded about Jewel. Yeah. Um, and so we chatted about that and she just she just heard it. But I also don't think it's that uncommon for her to discuss it. I think it's quite normalized. Mm. Mm. Wow. Well, that's cool. I uh, I actually hope you do send me an MP3 of that because I'd love to listen to it. Okay. Yeah, we do that. Um. So that was Jewel. Uh, we got through. <laughs> I think I'm going to stop doing the whiteboard. Yeah. I, I you do, are glued to it. I do focus a little bit too you much have, on it. You have completely become a slave to the to the, the whiteboard. whiteboard. Yeah. There's no, we've lost all our flow, all our natural. You're right. Uh, okay. Naturalism. You, I'll let you take it from here then. You didn't hear about the Wonka prequel? I don't think so. How long ago was this that it was first well, brought Well, it was first teased a little while ago, but it kind of came back around this week because it was confirmed. So okay. Paul King, who's the director of the Paddington movies, is going to mm-hmm. make the Willy Wonka prequel. And they've even kind of teased that like maybe they could get like a, a Tom Holland or a Chalamet to play young Willy Wonka. Okay. And I want to go on the record and say this is a dumb idea. They shouldn't do this. Right. I think we we must have talked about this and it just said like feels, why. It feels why, like why something we would have talked about. Yeah. Well, I think the Dolliverse is kind of being fleshed out a little bit mm-hmm. via Netflix. I don't know if this is going to be a Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. Different from the Dollyverse. Right, difference. No, not Dollywood. No. The Dolliverse. Right. Um, Do you know it's pronounced Roald? Roald Doll. We all say Roald Doll. Right. It's, it's two syllables. It's Roald. Doll. And it's yeah. not Roald. No. It's Roald. No, I heard his daughter talk on something. Wow. And she pronounced it Roald Doll. God. It's like, why don't we like... She didn't even call him Roald that? Dad? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't call him Dad. It was a strange relationship. Anyway, I, I don't need to know what made this man such a psychotic chocolate yeah, man. Sure. I don't need to know. No, someone it's going to be a crazy thing. Like his mom, like, was it? It's going to be like the Joker, but for Willy Wonka. That's what, I, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's going to have a super tortured history. And it, <laughs> he's... So I killed everyone in the factory. And there's a staircase yeah. and dancing. And I made this chocolate fountain. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all I got, pretty much. 
Really? No, no, not really. But okay. like we've we've like blown through stuff mm-hmm. ridiculously quickly. Bridgerton got renewed for season two. Did you watch much of that? No, I watched none of it. But Becky watched all of it. So did Jen. I think she watched a lot of it at the gym, which maybe was ill-advised because according to her, it's kind of porny. So apparently there's a lot of sex, but it's funny because uh, our friend Catherine um, came came back one day and was like, guys, you have to watch Bridgerton. Mm. The sex scene in episode six is like, you see everything. We're like, seriously, you see everything? Like- you see, like, full frontal nudity? She's like, no. <laughs> but you see, like, like full rear nudity. You see an ass? You see an ass, Catherine. You That's see a male everything. ass. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> she was really embellishing how crazy this was. We were just like, oh, no, Catherine apparently is just the most wholesome person That's in the sweet. world. Like, she's, yeah. The, yeah. She was so scandalized by an ass. Yes. She was like, a, a friend of hers was like, God, could I watch this with Dan? And she said, not if you don't want to get pregnant again. <laughs> was she doing a bit? No. It's no, not, this sounds is like very a funny sincere. Bit. <laughs> this is very sincere. And Jen and I, like, Jen watched the sex scene and was like, oh, my God. What? Like, come on, Catherine. Well, okay, but Becky may agree with Catherine because she has told me multiple times that it's, like, it's kind of pornographic. It's here just, like, f- like, frequent. But there's a lot of shows that are like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, lots has been said about um, about normal people. God, there's yeah. all kinds of nudity in that. I saw a headline today that said, apparently Lupin is is like on its way mm-hmm. to like eclipse Queen's Gambit, and I was I thought that is wrong. Well, I mean, like it's wrong of, in a moral sense. Sure, it's one of two things. I mean, you're right. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Wrong in a moral sense. It's one of two things, though. This happens all too often, so I'm suspicious of how they're getting their numbers. Like, their new show is always the biggest show ever. Yeah. But also, like, maybe some of that can be credited to an audience that was previously underserved because of their language. Right. right? Like, maybe it's just more adaptable, nationally speaking, internationally speaking. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it... If you're French speaking, then you're definitely watching it where you otherwise probably wouldn't be watching any English shows. And it, it already translated to English for a Right. The the main pilot. I don't know if that's a full explanation. And mm. like, I know I gave Lupin my S. I thought the pilot was okay. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's a masterpiece or yeah. anything. No. No, not like Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit was amazing. It was like and perfect. Netflix knows that. Like, yeah. like when they start putting out a documentary about the making of their show, mm-hmm. like clearly they know that that was their big money maker. It was one of yeah. the most, it was the water cooler show of the second half of the year. It Oh, totally. Yeah. 100%. What do you know about Adam Curtis? nothing so he did he's a documentarian he's a british documentarian and he did this uh documentary series called century of the self okay and he also did this uh documentary called Hypernormalization. and so there's a few of them and they're all kind of like why we are the way we are and why like um politics and society has formed uh formed the people in it to act the ways they do mm-hmm. uh mainly being like super self centric um and uh he's got a new bbc show coming out like a four-part series uh i just saw it on reddit television before coming here and so i was excited about that okay Mm -hmm. that kind of sounds cool Mm -hmm. does it sound show showable no well maybe if they're like digestible episodes but they can be like kind of dry yeah and but they are super interesting like if you just like get through 
it starts to like like really build how interesting it is but it is it's all narrated by this british man right <laughs> and it's all kind of like lo-fi images and stuff like like century of the self is all about like sigmund freud and his like his uh cousin edward bernays who like manufactured public relations like he literally came up with the idea of public relations oh okay um but he basically says in this documentary he's like so i was trying to think about a positive name for propaganda because after the second world war propaganda became a bad word so i discovered the word public relations I mean, that's that's a good point. It's pretty similar. Yeah. I feel so unscholarly in my appetite for documentaries. I see like almost no documentary. I know people love to talk about that. It's such a cocktail party thing to be like, did you see that documentary about yeah. the factory? Right. And, like I, I sometimes watch them. I'll watch the one that wins best picture. Mm-hmm. But even American Factory, I was like, this one best picture? This one, yeah. Like it's, it's good. It's like boring. But like there's a, there's a part of me also that's cynical about documentaries that like even if they are entertaining, mm-hmm. you had to be lucky enough for something to happen while you happen to have the cameras on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like some of this is his artful filmmaking and some of it is great timing. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm trying to like throw shade at documentaries. Cause like good for you, but mm-hmm. I wish that I could be, um, academic enough. I wish I could be like, um, uh, uh, I don't know, just thinky enough to, I guess it just to depends want what to watch more documentaries. I guess it depends what your interests are. Like American Factory, I don't think either of us are going to be extremely interested. I did in, watch it. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. It was okay. It was, right. Yeah. But like, it's it's also a similar flex for people to say, I really like fiction books. I really just like to read books about real things that happened. Like that's uh, such yeah. a cocktail flex. Yeah. Um, And I don't really care about that. But for some reason, the documentary one makes me feel insecure when people mm. say it. Hmm. Yeah. But you must have seen, you, have you seen like Icarus? No. Icarus is a pretty crazy one. Is that on a Netflix. running one? It's a cycling one. Cycling, okay. And it starts out by this guy who who wants to to compete in a race but he wants to take the same drugs that like Lance Armstrong took. Oh. But then it goes down a completely different um alley with the doctor who's giving him the drugs. He starts getting in all this trouble and then the documentary kind of becomes about that. Oh, okay. It's really interesting. He's a Dr. Feelgood. He's a Russian. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never saw Free Solo. I remember when it was oh, out, I was Free like... Free good. Yeah. I, and you, it's on Disney Plus too, I think. I'm pretty you, sure I could watch it now. You but. know it's better than Free Solo. Mm. And Free Solo is good. The Don Wall. Don Wall. It's another climbing movie. It's another climbing movie. See, and this it's is like, proving my point. There's too many of these movies. There's two of them. <laughs> That's a lot of climbing movies. There's literally two of them. That's a lot of climbing movies. But... They're both pretty good. Okay. Especially the Donwall. What is different about the Donwall? Or well, is knuckle, Knuckles smaller? Alex Honnold is like, he's almost um, antisocial in his behavior because like the, he's just hyper-focused on like climbing and like the whole story is kind of about how he is antisocial. Like his right. girlfriend's kind of like, I don't know. He's like kind of like ignoring me. I, meanwhile, the Donwall is about this like guy who's like a, good like he's a good hang throughout the whole movie okay and he grew up climbing and uh like you know compete like is like a world-class climber and is the first the main part of the story is he's going to be the first to climb this really challenging route um on uh on the dawn wall is he free soloing he's not free soloing okay 
but he uh I forget what the, what the term for it is anyways the whole time they're like flashing back to older stories and like how he got to where he is it's just a more well done documentary than free solo you are exactly the kind of person who would have an opinion about the two climbing documentaries. There's that there, you are kind of like if Patagonia was a person. It was a good like, No, I'm not. A little bit. You had multiple Livestrong bracelets, didn't you? I don't even remember. <laughs> okay, that's good defense. <laughs> like this is like we're talking like 15 years ago. I definitely had at least one, but yeah. I didn't wear it regularly. No, cuz that would have been too much. I think so. Yeah. What did I wear one at like when you came to K Rock or something? I don't think I did. No, I'm not remembering. I'm uh, okay. I'm assuming. I'm projecting. Is what it is. Project it, but how is that projecting? If that's something that you wouldn't do? No, it's not something I would do. But I watching more documentaries is something I wish I could do, and I have this like internal resentment that that you're like you're. I don't know, spouting knowledge about, about the genre. Mm, and I'm trying to have a conversation about how I'm insecure about not seeing more documentaries. And you're like, well, you should try these two, but this one's better. And then you called me Patagonia personified. Yeah. Which was a good, it was a good line on my part, (laughs) but I don't think it's true. I don't even, I don't even own anything. Patagonia. You have a hat. That's Patagonia. I do have a hat. That's Patagonia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for calling me out on that. (laughs) It's a cool hat. I like it. Okay. It's fine. By the way, it's a it's a cool brand. Nobody ever looked mm. bad in their Patagonia. <laughs> okay. I'm feeling judged. Am I coming off as an asshole here? <laughs> I can understand if I am. I'm just feeling really, uh, really judged right now. All right. I, I wish you wouldn't. Okay. I wish you wouldn't. Please don't. It's all me. <laughs> this all comes from a dark place within me. What else you got there? I'm sorry I got us onto documentaries. It's okay. Did you? I don't know. I did with the Adam Curtis thing. Uh, Ethan Hawke is going to join the MCU, which I think is the least likely thing ever. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. He's going to be the villain uh, to Oscar Isaac's Moon Knight. Who who is the absolute least likely person to be in a in a MCU? That's role? a good question. The I mean, like absolute Daniel Day Lewis. There you go. Yeah, if we're if that we're talking the for, for the same artful reasons as Ethan Hawke is unlikely, then it is Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. Because uh, even, but even Christian Day Bale Lewis, is going to be in one, I think. Yes, he's going to be the villain in uh, something. Like. Yeah, it is something. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what it is, but it is something. But it's a... Maybe it's Thor? It's a new Thor? With, I think it uh, might with Natalie Thor. Portman? Yeah, it's the new Portman Thor. What is... Hollywood has just went... Natalie Thortman. I don't know if anyone <laughs> said that yet, but... I don't think so. No. Hollywood has just given in and said, whatever, we're just going to do these movies now. Everyone is going to do these movies. Well, two things, and this will come back up later, but that's exactly what your honor is. This is just mm-hmm. Brian Cranston wanting to work. It's not because it's like really special. Uh, and also I'm listening to Paul Bettany on You Made It Weird right now. Yeah. By the way, he's very interesting. And he's not, I would he, imagine. He's not really what you expect of him, I don't think either. He's quite a thespian though, isn't he? But that's what I'm saying. It's like at first he kind of talks about how, and I guess a lot has been said about how he... Very openly, never watched Iron Man. And, oh, really? And then he, he got around to them, and now he's he's in on it. Yeah, yeah. And he's not just doing vision for the paycheck, but right. like I think there's a part of him that that wouldn't be very likely to to I don't want to say sell out, but really like be uh, consumed by the franchise of it all. Right. I love that he was on. You made it weird. Yeah, it's good so far. I've heard about a half an hour. That's awesome. Yeah, he's very vulgar. He curses a lot, which you don't expect. Huh. I guess kind of a British move. Is it? You're either He's one... very posh British though. Yeah, you're either 
would never swear British or would always swear British. They talked a little bit about that movie Uncle Frank, which I think I told you I watched on on Amazon Prime, um, which he's really good in. And Pete makes a really good point that the movie constantly runs the risk of being terrible because right. of the way it's written and because of what it's about. Who else is in that again? Uh, I mean, the, his parents are are like Stephen Root and Margot Martindale. I, the other two main people in it, I don't know by by name. Okay. But there's like a young gal in it who was the star of a show that we did on the show show a while back. It was like a, I forget what it was called, but it was it was kind of, it was in the style of the end of the effing world, but she had like yes. supernatural powers. I know exactly what you're talking about now. She's the main, in a way, she's the main character of Uncle Frank. Yeah. She's his niece. And then he also has uh, like a long-term partner. Is it I'm not okay with this? Maybe. That rings a bell. I think that might be it. Yeah. So she's quite good. Um, the three of them, as a unit, it's actually a pretty funny movie, but it but it's got a lot of darkness in it, and he's really great in it. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, but Pete Pete had seen it and asks about it, and uh, and it, he makes a good point that the movie could very quickly become like really groany and melodramatic, yeah, and, right. and he his his actorliness really keeps it in line. Does do we agree that Paul Bettany's first big role was A Beautiful Mind? Yeah. Did they talk about that? Okay, sweet. Yeah. He was so good in that. I think that's where he met Jennifer Connelly. Are they married? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That excites you? That excites me. I love Jennifer Connelly. Really? Yeah. I don't have any opinions about Jennifer Connelly. What no. is it about her that's... that's? I think I was just very taken with her in that movie. Okay. In a beautiful mind. Hmm. Made an impression on a young Matt Slaney. I think my first Paul Bettany was Silas in The Da Vinci Code. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I've never even seen any of the Da Vinci Code movies. You should see the first Da Vinci Code. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Are you still Hanksing around? I did half the Hanks catalog. Okay. And then the pandemic kind of stopped me in my tracks. That's surprising. Is it? Well, the, the, the fact that you have even more time to watch and record. Well, I don't. I didn't find a minute of extra time from no. COVID-19. Yeah, you're right. Um, and you're it, still on the same schedule. Yeah, and I just got really... It started to feel like a chore. Yeah. That's not what you want. No, it's not. It was supposed to be a writing hobby. It was also just supposed to keep me writing. Right. And so if I'm writing something else, I don't need to be writing Tom Thanks. I like to think that I'll go back and do the other half of the catalog. Why did I watch 26 Tom Hanks movies if not mm -hmm. to watch the other 26? Right. Um, but I had started to get really in my you, head you've about- You've done volume one. Yeah, that's right. Of two the, volumes. I did The Promised Land. Yeah. Um, I, I got in my head about the programming of it, which is so silly. But like I was very- I was very serious about the flow of the the supposed randomness at which I would choose these movies. Okay. So it would have to like bounce around the timeline and bounce around the genre spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, I would want to like not do too many sequels in a row. And I, right. would, I would want to um, not do too many like shitty movies in a row if I had a hunch that maybe they were not great. Right. Um, and a, a lot of the movies that I watched for the first time... And I watched because it was the blog. I liked them. Mm -hmm. Like I, I never would have watched Turner and Hooch, and I never would have thought it would be awesome. Right. But it's pretty great. You liked it. Yeah, it is pretty great. I'm trying to think of another example. There's a movie he did with Jackie Gleason, and I forget the name of it now. What about the one with nothing the... in common? It's called. It's very melodramatic, but he's good in it, which did, is, I guess, not surprising. Did you watch the one with Dan Aykroyd? Where they're uh, the detectives? Uh, no. Uh, shoot, what is that called? I have it. I think I've watched 
most of it just when it was on TV. I, I got a like a Tom Hanks four pack on Amazon. Okay. So it was like four movies from that era. Nice. And one of them was The Burbs. Okay. Which you liked. The Burbs is another one. I never would have watched The Burbs, but right. like that's like quality camp. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll watch the other 26 with you. <laughs> that's a really big commitment. <laughs> I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I would do as like... I would watch one a week and, and do like a second of it on the show show. I would. Uh, yeah, but that's what I was doing. And right. and it actually it, does it get pretty tiring. Its, yeah, it does. And I, I will do it. I want to see his new movie, The News of the World. Right. Yeah. That would be cool. Um, is that streaming anywhere yet or it's all the $20 thing? I think it's that. Yeah. yeah. So it, again, it, in a month's time, you'll be able to get these movies for cheaper, but it's an adjustment to go to watching these movies at home for the price of a movie theater ticket. More I, so than I thought it would be. I saw something about the Batman on HBO Max. Is that isn't that the new movie? Isn't that is that coming out soon? The Matt Reeves movie is called The Batman. So I don't know. Well, hmm. yeah. I mean, isn't that a is it a Warner Brothers movie? It probably is. I think so. So I guess it will be coming out on HBO Max. But I thought it said like within the year, which seemed way too soon for it to come out. I mean, they've shot it, right? Because they had to shut it down when Robert Pattinson had had COVID. It takes three months to make a movie. So it must be done production. Is it three months? Is that the general? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It can probably take a lot more. And probably a movie like that, maybe it takes up up to six months. But like Mm. I could see them turning that around by Christmas. Yeah. It probably has a, a tentative release date. And everything is so tentative. Right. Uh, and Bond, does that have a release date right now? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> yeah. though, and I don't know that we can count on it. Speaking of, of Bond, though, and Bridgerton, the thing we keep forgetting to talk about is mm-hmm. that the handsome guy has been talked about as yes as James Bond a couple of times. He's too pretty. I saw I saw that, and I said, he's just being talked about because this is a thing right now. Yes, like, that's... I agree. He's pretty, and he's, and he's popular British. right now, and he's British. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens every time. We're gonna talk ourselves into a corner if if we think that James Bond has to be a pretty boy. That's a huge mistake. Mm. But like, when has he in in recent history has he not been? Sorry for the oxygen. Daniel Craig was not a pretty boy, and he's not one now. Daniel Craig is rugged. I suppose he's sexy. But he's, don't he, get me he's wrong. A, he's an attractive man. No, I, I'm not saying he shouldn't be. Okay, but but, but, but you mean yeah? I I see what you're saying. Like, like there kinda was like the posh ish like yeah. Look. And I think it was part of the problem with Pierce Brosnan. Frankly, mm. like this guy's just like a little too put together. Right, right. I mean Sean Connery, right? Right. A little more rugged. Yeah. Uh, what else you got? That's it. That's it. Yep. Oh man, how long have we been been recording for? Thirty eight minutes. We think we can get into shows. I think we can discuss a lot with WandaVision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're fine. All right. Yeah. So. Well, plus we'll sneak a little jewel in here. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Why not? All right. Uh, I think it's your turn to to select a, a show. So which one would you like to? I'll go ahead and recap Your Honor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We'll okay. save the best for last. You recap the first episode of Brian Cranston in Your Honor mm-hmm. in three, two, one, go. So we start with a boy uh, leaving his house. He's going to to drop a picture somewhere uh, in a bad part of town. Uh, Meanwhile, a mobster is giving his son a motorcycle. Uh, They're both speeding around at the same time uh, when uh, one son is trying to get away from uh, gang members and uh, hits the the kid on the motorcycle. He can't breathe because he's having an asthma attack. He has to leave. He tells his dad, who's a judge, he realizes that... The the son is the son of a mobster. 
Right. And I can't. <laughs> Wait, I love when you front load your recaps. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm like, so he's in the room. He's putting his socks on. You see his butt for a second. He, there is a butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Catherine would have went crazy. She would for sure. In your defense, the, 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 the hit scene does go on for a super long time. It, yes, it made you super uncomfortable. You did not like that. You texted, texted me through you. it. I said... Dude, like, there's not any other gore in it. I almost quit. And you, you get what you need to get out of that. Um, and you just, yeah. Once you fast forward, you you understand what's happening in the in the show. Um, I didn't fast forward. I just kind of like kept my head down and like it. tried to focus on something else. But yeah. like, but I it again. It's that, trauma. That one's, that one's bad. It's really, and I, I could hear it. And yeah. like, there's like blood on the street and like totally. the choking on your own blood and that yeah. kind of stuff like it just seemed tries to give him mouth to mouth it's like, oh does he really yeah it just seems so gratuitous and yeah. like i knew that the central premise of the show was brian cranston's son accidentally kills a kid his age in a car accident brian cranston has to cover it up because he knows the father is a notorious crime boss mm-hmm. i didn't know that the kid like so so decidedly left him to die on the street. Well, like, here, I kind of just figured like there was like a fender bender and he took off. Well, here's the thing. He, he was under a lot of stress because he couldn't breathe because he couldn't get to his inhaler. Right. He was having an asthma attack for like five minutes and then he loses his inhaler. Mm. And so that's, what's found at the end of the show um, by the mob boss's security guy. Oh, okay. So they know who there's a name on the inhaler. So he's like, oh, well, then that's it's over after episode two. It, it kind of seems like that, doesn't it? <laughs> but, but it doesn't show the name on the inhaler, but it definitely shows the inhaler. So I don't know. Maybe the name isn't on it. I mean, I kind of question the idea that because he's um, such an erudite judge and an experienced lawman mm-hmm. that he knows how to cover up a car accident that he wasn't present for. And himself, he didn't even go to the scene of the crime. Like, like Brian Cranston, he knows the ins and outs of the law. Like, that's that's the idea of the show. Well, it's he, like, he goes, I can protect you from this. You can't ever tell anyone. Right. And it just kind of seems like, how? And how? It, even if you're good at the law and you know the back channels, yeah. how in the world can you be in control of this? Right. And the, at that, what did you think of the scene where he's the judge for the the you know the the lady who allegedly shoved? Um, Right, drugs inside herself, and he runs to this house early on in the show, and like you, you see the kid, and and like he's looking through the front door, and then he runs away. What was that? It was it was so he he could say in the in the trial, hey, I actually, I'm a bit of a runner, and mm-hmm. I ran right by there, and I saw the type of house that you live in. And you said you saw her do this in the bathroom from the front door. Well, hey, Mister. There's a straight hallway going right through that house. This is his move. Yeah. That he can. And he's like, so he, and he makes a big point of like how the kids will go hungry if the mom goes to jail. And so it just makes him look like a super good guy. Well, while making the cop look like an absolute asshole. Like yeah. there's like, he's like, yeah, he calls him a liar of the vilest kind. <laughs> Which is such a, I was like, I couldn't believe that this scene was happening. He's supposed to be a judge. I thought, I didn't think he was supposed to be cross-examination. Yeah, he's he's not exactly impartial, is he? No. No, and I think that's what I mean when I when I comment that, that Brian Cranston's like kind of doing this for the work. Mm. Maybe he believes in it, but it just, it just seemed like they wanted to depict him at, as this like, as this utmost, as this like figurehead of, of 
of ethical uh, paramount. Mm. And and I just don't, I don't really, I think it's two-dimensional is what yeah. I'm saying. Like, I don't really see a lot of nuance in this character because, like, then immediately he has this, like, crisis of, of morality where, like, he has to choose his son's safety over doing the right thing. Right. And it just seems but it's really like, flat. It's it's not really a choice for him. He's, like, as soon as he sees the mob boss in the, mm-hmm. which was another thing that I said, like, why was the mob boss at the police station to identify the body? Wouldn't that be at the, like, yeah. hospital yeah, that's a good point. I was like, why Why were they there at the same time? For some reason, I didn't... I, I was, like, kind of in and out of it, I guess. And I was watching it, but, like, for some reason, I was, like... Brian Cranston's looking at him through a window, and I can see Brian Cranston's at a police station, and for some reason, I thought Michael Stuhlberg was in a hospital, and that was just fine with me. Right. <laughs> He's going to confess at a hospital. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it almost does kind of seem like that, but, like, they tried to tried to make that kind of pass and make it make sense, but, like, no. He wouldn't go to a... a police station if his son got killed the thing is it's it's like day. it's like a pilot about you know a guy who wins the lottery and it what it does for you is gives you the opportunity to discuss and fantasize winning the lottery right and the pitfalls that it suggests as yeah. well and so this is one of those shows where it's like Ooh, what would you do right and that's fine mm-hmm. but does it have the legs do do you did you watch any more i didn't watch any more no no I, I can't give it my S. I thought it was really flat. I think I do give it my S. I, I'm not... Uh, I found it entertaining enough. Okay. To say, like, you know what? I'm I'm interested to see Brian Cranston protect this kid. I mean, he's an astonishing actor. There's no question. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Without him, it's nothing. Yeah. And, the, and what I've read from the, the fan reviews is that, like, the show could be good. No disrespect to the, the actor who's playing the teenage son, but, like, apparently he's consistently frustrating through the whole series. Right? Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I understood there were points where I was like, just tell your dad what happened where he yeah. was like being silent, but also, you know, a lot of trauma there. I just, I, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's just so grim and I, I just failed to, to locate the entertainment factor in something that's just about somebody who ruins their life. And by the end of it, everyone's miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that has to be where this is going. You think so? I don't know though. It's a Showtime show. Is it a miniseries? Yeah, I think it so. Is a miniseries. I, okay. I think it's conclusive, but I yeah. don't. I didn't. I didn't look it up. It's based on other shows. Like there are. This show exists in other languages. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um. So I give it my ass, but I don't have. I'm not sure that I will watch any more of it. I right. might just because like people keep talking about it. They are a little bit as a you should watch. Just a couple of nitpicks. The right. fact that this happens on his dead mother's. Uh, like anniversary. Well, to be fair, that that is why he was in the the neighborhood, the bad neighborhood in the first place. It just makes for a very tough day. But here's what I said. I was like, okay, I understand being in a bad area. Yeah. But like you get out of your car and you're putting like your dead mother's picture on a storefront <laughs> and you're like super meek and you're trying to get out of there. Do people really approach you with a gun? Like, no. Like there's like seven people like converging on him. Yeah, I just, and then like chasing him out of town. I just like, think it's more likely that maybe they'll chirp. They might say something kind of like kind of right. heckly. They might try and intimidate you a little bit. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I don't know. Maybe this is irresponsible for me to say or, or ignorant for me to say because you can be in danger anywhere, I guess. But like, I I agree. I don't I don't think that anything he did would have provoked. No, it it definitely like he was definitely out of place. He would have got some looks. He might have got some. But but also it's like like. Before school, 
Yeah, that's right. It's like 7 a.m. Yeah. And everyone's just like out. It's, um, oh, I, I did write down this quote just because of how criminally expository it was. This is Brian Cranston. <laughs> oh, my God. Talking to his son. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah, right in the parking lot there. The boy you killed is Jimmy Baxter's son. Jimmy Baxter is the most vicious, vicious crime boss in the history of this city. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now we know. Yeah. I, it was so unnecessary. And usually I'm not good at picking picking those things up. Right. I was like, and there's the, the trailer. What about in the end when Brian Cranston is trying to uh, dispose of evidence and he pulls over his car on the bridge and he like hucks this sack of evidence off the bridge and then the police car pulls up. And he pretends that he was taking a leak because he has colon cancer or something. Prostate cancer. Prostate yeah. cancer. Uh, wouldn't it... This is. I thought he was going to pretend that he was a jumper. Right. And it seems like that would have been a better alibi. Well, I knew that... Well, he's a judge too, though. I guess he would know better so than like, me. I also thought it was weird that the, the police officer didn't breathalyze him. Because mm-hmm. like, you pull over on the bridge... Well, I to think pee, I think that it seems like you're hammered. I think the officer said like his name and was like, "Whoa, what are you like?" Oh, I don't, I don't think I got that. You no, know, I thought he was like, like whatever his last name is. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, maybe. And, and was like in the middle of the bridge, and because uh, c- he just like you know starts peeing. Because earlier in the show, it was referenced when that other lawyer comes in and he's like, "Why are you late?" Oh, and the okay. lawyer says. Sorry, it's prostate cancer. I need to go every fifteen minutes. Like oh, I can't. And, and Brian Cranston. It was a says, callback. It was a callback. Okay. Well, you noticed a little bit more nuance in there than I did. Mm-hmm. Definitely a strange. I was thinking, like, man, this bridge seems like pretty lit up. Yeah. Like, there's probably a more secluded place. Well, and that, like, I just always assume this is why I would never be able to uh, live with myself if I committed a heinous crime and wanted to cover it up because like I just assume there's cameras everywhere right yeah. I would have to turn myself in because totally. I would like You're like they know I, already I would know they know yeah right <laughs> yeah I assume there's a camera on that bridge yeah no no I guess not or there might have been maybe you'll find out you I'll, think you'll go any further you're not sure I don't know all right if I get bored okay all right well I guess I should recap uh it was gonna be tough to recap the first episode of WandaVision because I've watched we should watch we could talk about both of these episodes they're kind of together yeah like a two-part pilot Mm -hmm. um but it was a few days ago i'll just recap the first episode okay i'll recap as much as i can remember of the two episodes i'm gonna put you on the clock to summarize wandavision in three two one go i started early Ah! (laughs) Uh, 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 wanda and vision are new in the neighborhood they're living in some kind of like alternate sitcom universe in the black and white and being very domestic and charming together but he's not human he's vision and she also has superpowers so he uh has to have his boss over for for dinner uh to impress the boss and everything is going kind of clumsily because they don't know how to throw a dinner party and the boss is very um uh cranky and cantankerous he chokes on his dinner and then uh, uh scarlet witch saves him Yes. And then in the second episode, there's a, uh, there's a talent show and they put on a magic act, which they can do because they're magic. But doesn't Vision save him? The, uh, but he definitely is like convinced by Scarlet Wish, Witch to do it. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe, yeah, maybe he just like imparticles himself and reaches mm-hmm. into his boss's esophagus and pulls out the food that he's choking on. I think maybe I said Wanda because I thought that's what she would do. Right. The way she does in the second episode. There's two choking yes. things, by the way. She uses... Uh. Her magnesis or whatever to draw the 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 chewing the gum, gum the chewing yeah, gum yeah. out of his um out of his system Gears. Yeah. yeah I like the the way they designed that I I like when they show like his internal 
system and it's just this uh it's like two cogs kind of cartoon (laughs) yeah um or the way they animated the theme song in the second video to look like bewitched like it's very clear when they're drawing from specific pop cultural tropes dick van dyke totally um bewitched and uh so yeah uh vision has to like put a face on before going to work yeah and then he becomes paul bettany again yeah he's just Paul Bettany. I thought it was really interesting the physical comedy they had him do. These neither of these a people lot. are in the first two episodes, especially the what, second episode, especially. Well, yeah, and and her too. Like she's a really great comedic actress. She's great. I'd love to see her in like a like a James Franco like kind of move. Sure, not him necessarily, but like some kind of like funny comedy. Yeah, she's only ever been so serious. I know she. Uh, she's so good in this. Um, yeah, the whole the whole magician scene was super funny to watch that was just slapstick humor but yeah. it was really entertaining yeah yeah I've, I've never seen that before but the show is very is very uh meta we don't know exactly where they're going and my only criticism really of these first two episodes is that i wish they had given us just a, a little li- more a little more to chew on just in terms of like revealing what the greater picture is here because we don't know where or when they are someone or why they are. Someone said to me that they, or someone said to me, I heard on a podcast that they aren't, it wasn't the original first episode that was supposed to air, which might make it even more confusing. I don't know how. Who said that? It was on the watch. Okay. Uh, are you sure you you didn't, um, because it's not, it's not the first, it wasn't supposed to be the first Marvel show. Okay. I, oh, maybe that maybe that's what they meant. Maybe that's what they meant, or maybe maybe I'm wrong. But like, that that is something that's notable about this is that it feels strange to be the first MCU TV installment on mm-hmm. on the Plus yeah. because it's so out there. Yeah, but it wasn't supposed to be. There was supposed to be uh, well, Black Widow first in theaters, and then oh, Falcon gotcha. Winter Soldier was also also supposed to come out before before this, it. But everything got turned around, as you know. I see. I don't see how this couldn't be chronologically. Yeah, I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, is do are are two of the episodes so basic that you could air them at different points? Well, and like, it evolves like through the timeline. Like, it's that's very, what I it's thought. Very clearly moving upwards through the second half of the twentieth century. So here's a question: um, the first episode, they there's a date, and they're not quite sure what it means. There's just like a heart, and apparently it's about this dinner with Mr. Hart. Right. But clearly both of them don't know where they're actually from. Like they're not sure. Like they don't remember any history. Exactly. It's almost like they've got like amnesia. And the second episode you have uh, something, someone coming through the radio being like, Wanda, what are they doing to you? Wanda. Which is Randall Park, by the way, who is an actor you'd recognize. Okay. Yeah. A comedic actor. Yeah, she appears to, more so than him, she appears to be getting some kind of communications from... Was he in Always Be My Maybe? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, She appears to be kind of, especially in the second episode, she's starting to reconnect with the regular world, like this kind of like bitchy lady who runs the PTA or whatever she is, runs the fashion show, the talent show. Um, She is suspicious of Wanda. Mm -hmm. And then Wanda starts to see color here and there. Yeah. And then there's the thing with the guy under the manhole. Yeah. Like there's a beekeeper, the beekeeper under under the the manhole. manhole. Yeah. 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 That's so strange. And she just goes, no. Right. And everything rewinds. And the end of the episode, everything uh, turns into technicolor. Turns into color. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, is this like a weird, like her trying to, to, to protect? It could be a couple of things. One thing that occurred to me is that this could be where they go after the snap. Yeah, that's what I thought. 
it, and I think the idea is that most of these people were supposed to die, but Vision is not a human. He's data. Right. Right. So like maybe his, he his, got his, kind of superimposed into some other right. realm. Because Thanos literally crushed his head. Oh, that's true. He died alternatively, didn't he? Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, yeah his, his, his consciousness could could be uploaded somewhere else. Totally. Right? Like a black mirror kind of thing. Now, the other thing is that we do know that this is supposed to line up with Dr. Strange at some point. Uh, okay. And Dr. Strange's whole thing is traveling interdimensionally. Right. And so that kind of explains this, mm -hmm. but it doesn't explain why they seem to have amnesia about it and why they seem to be displaced. Yeah. They're not keeping a secret exactly. I mean, right. they kind of are, but it's not like they're aliens and they know their whole history. Right. Yeah, they know that they have these powers, but they don't know. Like literally, when when asked where you come from, it's not like they're they're grasping to come up with a response. Right. They just literally don't. They're like, uh, um, I'm not sure. And it's I guess it's based uh, pretty strictly upon some Scarlet Witch comics that are that are well liked. I don't know anything about Scarlet Witch, no. and the Catherine Hahn character apparently bears a resemblance to. Uh, a, a pretty regular either mentor or adversary of right of scarlet, scarlet witches Witch. and so and by the way i love Catherine hahn and everything i can't say that enough she was great in this another person i love is deborah joe rupp she was so funny well and it's classic and, that that 70s show mom but exactly like yeah. it, it's clearly deliberate that she is most famous for being the a mom of a certain time period Yes. Yeah. Right. From fr in a novelty sitcom about yeah. another time. Right. And that's what this is. Yeah. Yeah. When she starts dancing, when he starts singing, uh, yakety, yakety, yakety yak. yak. <laughs> <laughs> and she just kind of does the whole like hand to the elbow. Kind of man. It's a Kitty Foreman face. She does that face a little bit in the '70s show too. When she's like, it's it's an incredible comedy face where she, she gets kind of expressionless. Yeah, she's almost like kind of like pondering while while dancing, but also like, focusing so hard right. that she can't smile. Yes, yeah, yeah. She's super funny. Yeah, she's terrific. She looks great too. What's with the length of the credits? <laughs> Did you notice the credits were eight minutes long? Yes, <laughs> I fast forwarded to the to the end. I thought they were going to pull like a post credit a scene. post credit scene. Me too. Twice I yeah. did that, and Jen Jen said the same thing. She's like, "How are these credits so long? Because the episodes are only like seventeen minutes." Speaking of trauma, the choking <laughs> scene with the boss yeah. also really long and upsetting. Yeah, did you find that? Yeah, not in the same way, but it's just like this is like, and she keeps saying stop it Carl stop it Carl and yeah it's, and the music gets very tense and like yeah stop it Carl or Carl stop it yeah. yeah I don't know if I have any other like fresh observations I'm not really um deft enough to comment on this with any sort of authority but um oh this is something I wanted to comment on it apparently is the most expensive tv show ever made what? I read this today they have a budget of $25 million an episode. And I got to know where that money went in these first two episodes. Yeah, they, they definitely backloaded that 25 mil. I mean, I guess. like, Unless it's just on salary of what they're paying Paul Bettany and Elizabeth yeah. Olsen. Well, that's the thing is it's kind of designed to look a little bit cheap, right? These yeah. Like if you're making a show that was made 80 years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's super fascinating. Also, gets pregnant really quick at the end of the second episode. That's true, the pregnancy. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's just like 
Well, and there's a, there's a little bit of like sexual euphemisms in particular in the second episode. Right. And I could, as like a TV fan, I couldn't help but take issue with some of that because network TV was so sensory mm-hmm. in the 60s. You couldn't yeah. get away with like, even like she snaps her fingers and their twin beds, their beds. are pulled together. Yeah, yeah. Like that wasn't on television until Michael, Mike and Carol Brady in, in 1969. Right. Um, no jokes about that. Like a lot of it is like kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You wouldn't mm-hmm. get away with that. No. Like Fonzie wasn't allowed to wear a leather jacket in the first season of Happy Days. Right. He had to wear a windbreaker. Yeah. That was the, the badass so coat. So edgy. Yeah. Well, what did you think? Will you watch it again? Oh, totally. Uh, uh, it's a, it's an obvious ass. Yeah. It, it's, it was really fun. And mm-hmm. I love the novelty of it. The design of it is so cool. And they're both excellent. But I do want more. And yeah. I, ha- I have a hunch that probably episode three will get the ball spinning a little bit. There's that they've got to release in two episodes. I each don't time. think so. Really, it's just one episode. Well, hopefully they make it longer. Or I something. I kind of think the show itself is more conducive to binge mode. I I, I think yeah. that this is a mistake. I understand that it was. It's not Mandalorian where you're like, oh, no. that was a good digestible like. Well, and the Mandalorian was so episodic. Yeah. And this is just, it's not going to work. The novelty is going to wear off too quickly for it to maintain episodicism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it feels more like you could fly, like, oh, I want to get to the 80s. And then, you know. Right. And I've seen some clips from that. Oh, have you? Yeah, it's just like in the trailer or whatever. So I'm excited, but this feels like a more bingeable show. So I don't know. But no, I'll probably watch them week by week and be frustrated every time they're over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think think we're going to be in the same. At least we'll have something to talk about every week. That's true. I love Amanda. Yeah. When's Falcons coming out after? Yeah, not for not for several months. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, hey, there won't be any overlap. That's for sure. We got one division. Yep. Yep. It's funny. I don't think I realized at first that the other character's name was Vision. <laughs> so WandaVision just seemed like oh, there. It's kind of like uh like, you know, like television. Uh, te- like television. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, good name for a show. Yeah, I think they were doing that on purpose. Yeah, it was smart. Yeah, yeah. smart. Uh, all right, well, that's that's all I got. A little. Uh, the only Will Smith thing I have is actually personal. It's not in the news, but I've been watching Cobra Kai all this time, and I'm like slowly making my way through the third season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't realize until just now that he's a producer on that show. Whoa. Yeah. Are, are you still liking it? Uh, no, I, I mean, it's okay. I, I kind of think that maybe it just doesn't register with me. There's a part of me that thinks it's in a hundred percent earnest in which case i think it's bad right and there's another part of me that thinks it's entirely ironic mm-hmm. and then i kind of don't get it right and so like I'm, is there a part of you that thinks that it's like just 100 percent fan service to the originals no because i think it's made for younger people okay and ralph macchio lost all his charisma right i think uh, the guy who plays johnny lawrence is good um billy zapka but like, it's just, first of all, it is about a radicalized group of kids. Like mm. all of them are psychotically obsessed with Fighting. murdering each other right. with physical violence. Yeah. And so I, that kind of troubles me, but I've sunk so much time into it. Yeah. And Becky goes to bed and I'm like, I guess I'll watch a Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And then last night, Will Smith pops up on the credits. Right. And it turns out he's produced them all. Wow. Yeah. And you don't love it. No. And that's why you never trust Will Smith. Never, ever trust Will Smith. Don't trust him. The oh, violence. I watched the Tiger Doc. The Tiger Doc. Tiger Woods. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. See, there's a documentary I would watch. It's 
it's not like the last uh, dance. No. Where, you know, you have Michael Jordan involved. Yeah, exactly. He's ta- That's it, a big difference. It's like super salacious. It's like, hey, here's my first girlfriend and a couple friends that I ghosted and a caddy that I ghost. And these are all the people that are talking about him. So it's okay. it's a lot more inflammatory than... On the other hand, think. it's not as carefully cultivated That's right. by the subject. So you, you're only... You're almost... well. You're getting the amazing stuff, like him doing all these incredible feats. But there's a lot on, you know, the uh, the infidelity and all that stuff, which I don't even think was mentioned in the Michael Jordan documentaries. No, but I mean, the infidelity is a huge part of the Tiger story. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's true, and it shows his whole um, uh, like police altercation where he gets the DUI, right? Cause he was, it's weird. He was, well, he was on so many, like his, he trained pain, pain as a, medications. Yeah. Right? He yeah. trained as a Navy seal for a little bit. Right. Tra- so he was like, they were literally doing drills where they were like kicking him and like, and he already had like, he, he, he had like no ACL. So his knees were like shot and he played in 2008 and won a major, but was like in serious pain. His back was spasming. He, so he ends up getting all these surgeries back surgeries he had like four back surgeries and obviously was put on a a, a lot of painkillers mm. and so they pull him over and they're like hey uh sir do you know where where you're going and he's like yeah i'm heading down to uh and, uh, i'm just going right over to orange county and they're like you're in jupiter florida sir yeah <laughs> like it's it's hardcore so i remember that and i remember but for, the, but for the like DUI, a week, for like a weekend everyone was like well that's it for tiger yeah and then it came out that it was more complicated than that yeah and that's that's kind of the way that the and and the documentary rightfully um there are certain things where you know like after his like uh cheating scandal the the masters have this huge press conference mm. where they're like, our great champion has made a massive misstep and mm. we hope that we can trust him going forward. And Brian Gumbel's there like, like what business is that of, yeah. of the masters, mm. a, a, an organization with a, a consistent undercurrent of racism mm-hmm. to, to try to make an, ex- he's like, you think they're going to do that to Fred couples? You think they're going to, and it, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Cause as soon as I started seeing this, I was like, why, why did they do this? Well, I'm this curious to hear more about, about their history with racism. Of course it doesn't surprise me and I could probably connect the dots, but like it, isn't it true that tiger only gets to be such an, in crowd member because he's so good for the 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 corporation well yeah like uh, like augusta georgia uh didn't allow on the didn't allow black people on the course until tiger because of tiger pretty well because he's so good like, to watch like early 90s yeah he was playing in like amateur tournaments there i think until the 90s until the 90s like isn't this crazy man yeah so yeah yeah of course it's crazy but it's just so freaking startling yeah Tiger Woods is like, I think in a way he's an important person to my family. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. Like, it's not the professional golf has never, ever registered with me. Okay. But it means a lot to my dad and it means a lot to my brother. And my mom knows a lot about it just by being around it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and all of them are really invested in in the the story of Tiger Woods. And your dad was there to watch him win the Masters in 2019? Yeah, I mean, he didn't see him win. But oh, okay. yes, he was at that Masters, yeah. That is 
so phenomenal. Right. That feels to me like the end of the Tiger Woods story. And that's that's kind of how they end the documentary yeah. too. Um, yeah, you know, you hope he wins more because he wants to, his ultimate goal. But he must is be like, retiring age now. Uh, no, I mean he's he's early forty. Like you can play into your sixties. Sure, but, but like, he's he's but all fucked but up. His body's like, messed up. Yeah. yeah. Why not cut yeah. your losses? Uh, I don't know. That's he's, what I mean about the end. Goals. The end of. I mean, I guess, but like that, the end of his story is like, why don't, why don't you just like come back, climb back on top, be the greatest again, mm -hmm. solidify your reputation, oh, and if, peace out. If you watch the documentary, you'd understand. Yeah. Talk about trauma. He's got some trauma. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. This is why you never trust Will Smith. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry if the Patagonia thing hurt your feelings. It's okay. I'm over it. Okay. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> Let's not linger on the past. <laughs> <laughs> but if you say Patagonia one more time, it's a cool brand. I know it is. Never trust Will Smith. And wear Patagonia, bro. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs>